Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. Just me and Kai today, and uh, I'm coming to you from my bed where I'm flat on my back nursing a, a broken uh, something or another, my pride for one, and uh, my back is totally out, so <laughs> might as well make the most of it and get yeah. another episode in. Explain, um, explain to them how you hurt your back. <laughs> I shouldn't well, be laughing because this has happened to me, but um, yeah. many of us can relate. So sorry if it sounds funny too. I uh, I can't hook up the regular microphone and headset because it it is too hard to move around. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, so I was in the shower. I was singing away, having myself a good time. This was on Thursday, so it's Saturday now, um, and this was Thursday morning, and I'm, I've am i got big plans for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to do a ton of work at the warehouse, so I'm, I'm gearing up for a great week, you know, get the things done I want to get done, so I'm singing away in the shower, and I sneezed, <laughs> and that was it, man, one sneeze dropped me to the floor, I had to crawl out of the shower, I've been hunched over ever since, Man. and uh, I think I've been to the chiropractor twice. Now, I tried to go today, but they were closed. That was a big waste. So much effort to get over there, and the doors were locked. <laughs> I about cried. <laughs> yeah, I've gone through the same thing, man. Um, during a large cage move, uh, I ended up in the same thing, in the shower, and kind of coughed, sneezing, and pulled uh, my left uh I guess it's that sciatic nerve area. And yeah. uh, it's the one that leads all the way down your butt, down your leg. And you can kind of feel the strings as as you uh, lean your left, turn your head to the right and left. You can feel it. Pull. Oh, yeah. 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 If you turn your head to the right, it really pulls. I have um, never been so afraid to cough or sneeze now in my life. <laughs> yeah. Same. I try to take it easy. Um, but man, some, you know, sometimes allergies gets you and you just let it go. And I just, I just hope that, um, yeah, it doesn't have me hunch over, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of us real like hardcore monitor keepers where, you know, we have a ton of soil, the cages are huge, the logs are heavy, everything is heavy. You're loading buckets right. of water, you know, um, and honestly, you're not always going to be lifting with your knees here. You're, you're just going to be lifting <laughs> You know, yeah, and so um, you got to bend over in short cages and awkward positions, and you know, have yourself working at a your whole body bent at a ninety degree angle. These are all the right, all the things that we're guilty of doing, and it just puts our body at a, you know, yeah. it's absolutely true. In fact, I think cage design going into the future is going to be somewhat based. Um, yeah, yeah, somewhat based on hey, I got to take care of my body because the result, the the truth is, if we if you don't take care of yourself and you want to keep monitors, man, it, it can be hard if you're you know not physically able um, yeah. with some of these guys, especially the bigger guys that require a lot. You'll, you'll uh, push stuff back and things will happen, and you'll say, "Oh, right. I can get to it another time," or when you feel better or whatever. Uh, for me, I just. The thought of it, I write it down on a piece of paper and bang it out that week. You know, that's what I try to do um, for 
for for anybody that you know you may suffer because not all of us are all healthy some of us suffer from you know things i have asthma and i push myself to the limit every day um and uh yeah i just you know whenever i'm feeling really asthmatic and really wheezy and i just can't do a whole lot um i'll do it in spurts you know i'll i'll go and put on the mask of course and not get all dusty and if i do um i i just stop go get some fresh air you know and then come back to it in a little bit that's the that's the the cool part about having your own stuff and you're not you know working for somebody where you got to immediately do stuff you can come back to it in an hour or you know right do some stuff get some rest do some stuff get some rest and, and hopefully you get it done and without having to bombard you with so much work you know because when i was keeping like water monitors or really large monitors and man it's luckily i was a lot younger and dumber then um, <laughs> you know but uh like now it's like okay i gotta be like alan said i gotta be pretty strategic with what i'm keeping the amount of everything right. like even the amount of soil it's overdoing now that i have in full in floor nesting on some of the cages right so instead of having a, a bin that i can kind of lug around and lift up and out right that that whole soil is there now so it's not like i'm just gonna pick up this pick it all up you know so i gotta right. dig it all up move it all into a bin dig out another corner find some you know try to look for eggs or whatever right or even just refurbishing the whole thing yeah it's, 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 it can be some work man it's absolutely crazy it's because i in front of my warehouse right now the like the day before i went and picked her two days before so i went and picked up like four of those large bags that are like 85 liters compressed of peat moss and then uh i think close to probably 600 pounds of sand all those 50 pound bags so um that was what my i was planning to do this weekend was mix a bunch of dirt and yeah have it ready <laughs> and all that's out the window <laughs> oh man shoot uh, yeah, so but the good news is because of that, now we can record another episode because I'm laying here flat on my back. The other good news is, and something I want to touch on was uh, it came to my attention that there was a bunch of um, fake posts and scams using some of my pictures, some of my animals. Um, so with that, you know, I, it's been on the back of my head to, to, or been in the back of my head to, make a more official logo and uh, a watermark type of deal so that I can, you know, make sure that, well, mark my photos. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully protect some people out there. Um, yeah. Now that being said, guys, I'm sorry if you got scammed. Apparently it was like several, like at least 10 people have reached out to me about it. Um, if someone's trying to sell you a stellar looking animal, uh, female Aki for $250, it's a scam. It's a straight scam. I wouldn't sell those girls for anything less than probably 800 to a thousand. Yeah. Probably 1250 for those girls, you know, um, cause the truth is you're not getting them out of me. Um, so that would be, and you got to think about why. So to go in so if you see the market value for baby um, Ackies and even if you were new to the market 
uh, you could say you, you charge somewhere between, you know, 400 to $500. If you're new, people with more reputation may be able to charge more that have more to show for their animals. So yeah. you got to think an adult female. Yeah, half a class can, can make that money back. Right. Yeah. And so if I have a female or someone has a female and it's a proven breeder or a known female, um, unless there's something seriously wrong with that animal, then you got to think, you know, you're going to get two to four, maybe five clutches out of that girl. Average of six to, to ten, let's say eight eggs. Um, you just do the math. It doesn't make sense. You're, none of that makes sense. So when something's too good to be true, it's too Probably good to be not. true. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm trying to get it, help people get ahead of that too. One, always, always do your homework with who you're dealing with. Um, it's, you know, we deal in a, a world that they're yeah, due diligence. what's yeah, that definitely go through due diligence with everybody yeah. yeah we used to ask for a lot of references like or references just to get to know people and see if they're legit that being said in today's world um we also have social media that kind of acts as your reputation and your reference so even though i've seen some guys and i think we talked about it before that totally cloned or copied somebody else's social media there is that if they get real intricate with their scam. But for the most part, you should be able to not only go onto their social media um, pages, but contact them as well. Yeah. If they don't have that, if if someone has some, you know, stellar looking animals and um, they're, I, I don't know how else to put it, but do your homework. Like just, yeah. there's like, uh, for me, so I'm a, super paranoid right I, I basically don't buy through anybody unless we kind of already know them through the circle right right um, and and then even then if you're still unsure about somebody you ask another person about them right well they'll likely be sharing friends in common because that's just how people operate online nowadays you know and right. so these are uh, green flags right where it's like all right you got a lot of people that you're friends with you kind of have a reputation of you know at least you're not you don't have a bad reputation right, right. um and so you're you know your name's not floating around there or they're not posting you up or you know some people aren't paying attention to this so you know i guess it's where um you know you're just you're just kind of unknowing you know more so just uh, unaware to how people are playing the game you know right um right. cheating the game more so um and so you know, you're asking people, you're, you can, you should be able to click their name in relative groups or enter their name in relative groups. And most people, even people like Frank Reitz or uh, I don't know, like, you know, they're, they're not really majorly in the hobby as far as breeding monitors anymore, but you can still find their name and some type yep. of, you know, something. And so um, you'll be able to, like for me, if you look up my name, not even my page but just my name through groups you'll see for, for years of posts and posts and posts and things like that and alan too you should be able to look up his name on groups and see his track record his activity things like that if they don't have any of that and they're kind of just like a ghost with activity and they're just posting stuff for sale that is also a, a red flag um, right you know, new new profiles is what people are calling it, but some are a little bit 
more intricate than that now. You know, people are really taking their time, kind of almost seeming like they are, um, uh, like they have a lot of friends that are in common. They may have been incognito for a little bit, and then all of a sudden they're posting stuff that you want. You know, they may even converse a little bit, but for the most part, you know, if you if you don't hear well stuff through, you know, typical names like John or 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 Christopher or you know Alex. I mean, there's a lot of names that deal with monitors, but you'll you'll hear about each other. And literally, it's a, such a although there's so many people, it's still a very tight knit circle. You know, right. Um, you know, there's even one out there right now that's been long lasting where I talked to the guy because he reposted somebody else's um, animals. And I said, hey, I've seen that picture before. What's going on? Why are you posting for them? And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, a partner there. So I was like, OK. And so I went with it just to mess with him and see where he was going to go. And he was saying something like, OK, in order to buy these animals, you have to sign a contract with me. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Man, was that? Not- was that, uh, a, that that was that was that hilltop tree or hilltop reptiles or something like that? Let me see. I can I can look it up real quick. You know, has has someone done that to you, or is this person legit? No, this person has done it to another person basically, and then became very unresponsive. Um, yeah, yeah, and then you know basically started showing signs of this is possibly a scam. You know, when 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 people are they take your money and they kind of just disappear. They're really unresponsive with stuff. I mean, not only is that kind of a dick move, right, for you to right. basically ignore a person about about their lizard that they pay for. It's technically theirs now. So they kind of have, you know, they have some obligation to that, right? And so, and you're sort of, in a way, obligated to, to help them out, ask, answer their questions and whatnot. And so, yeah, this, this person basically made another guy sign a contract. And um, whether or not that it was a scam or not, um, that the guy basically became unresponsive, and um, you know, you, you try to be somewhat understanding about people's situation, but when it becomes so long of unresponse, and you don't, you don't, you know, you basically you're talking to a wall. They look at your stuff but don't answer. You know, things like that. It's like right, they're red flags. You know. Um, whether or not they're a scam or not, you know, it's just how people want you to act online or how, um, customer service works online now sometimes, you know, so, um, it's just being responsive, things like that. So I hesitate to, to even say this person's name cause I'm not sure if they are or not. Um, but it is, yeah, it, it was a weird conversation um, I'm going to do my homework on this because I guess what I want to bring out is to everybody that, that might be listening, if you see a picture that you know belongs to somebody else and you see it pop up somewhere else, take an extra second to maybe call them out to protect people because we got to look out for each other here. Um, and there's a lot of scammers out there. And I, that just gets every under- day there's more scammers like yeah. every, every day. Um, blue trees. Nice stuff, you know, um, lace monitors, things that are almost impossible to get, you know. Yeah, right. Regularly, um, you know, it's like 
Indonesian people or or people over there in the islands like that. It's um, people that are your locals that are, you know, just right. uh, just uh, some some Joe Blow. He just decided to to take your pictures and um, you know realize that oh man, people will jump at this if I just post it up. You know, um, yeah. me, You know, let me try to get a picture that's not really seen by everybody. Um, but yeah, there's people that are really you know, they pay attention. People have signatures like. Like most of my pictures are with them in my arm, you know. You can see, you can see how how my pictures are. The lighting and all that stuff is almost all the same in every picture, right? Uh, you know, I don't have uh, highly desired animals that much to be stolen like that, but you know, people can. Uh, it, it it can happen. I don't want to speak too soon for myself yet, but you know, it's uh, I haven't gotten there. I've made a logo and everything in preparation to, um, you know, kind of brand myself better, but never to to never have i thought i needed it to you know look um protect my stuff a little bit more uh, which it you know it kind of does it gives me it gives everybody a uh a location or where to find my logo and how to find me you know so it's like all right you just look for this if it's if it's this familiarity and what you see and everything like that then it's him you know um, right yeah, so i haven't used the watermarks yet but I'm thinking about it. I just don't want to put that on my pictures every time, you know. I but know it's something that you have to. Like I just, I see guys stamp their stuff, and it's like on the middle of the animal, just because you can crop out if it's put it, if you put it on the side, you know. Um, yeah. So you can easily crop it out or, or mark over it or something like that. Um, and probably there's probably even ways to just remove a watermark, you know, um, if people are really cunning enough on the internet. Oh yeah do that stuff so yeah so the, you know i'm gonna try to make it hard for them in different ways um come up with some different things maybe the background will be like you said specific or maybe it can be directly in the post where they really have to work at it or just something that you know yeah says it's, it's it, unique it's, it's hard to get it's hard not to get some things sound you know that they sound too good to be true or or you're feeling a little tipsy or it's really early in the morning. So you'll believe anything, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's so, it's so simple now. And, um, and it sucks because it hurts, you know, people like you and me, because we're trying to run an on business, but people think that we're a scammer because most people scam nowadays. And so right. it just makes it harder because you know, like, like for me, uh, most people are pretty, unfamiliar with what i do um not not like grasshoppers are typically uk stuff um so you know people are always like are you in america i'm like yeah bro i'm in southern california bro you know? <laughs> um and then the same thing with the the, the Kai island stuff the only people that are posting that are other indonesian people and right. so you know people think that i'm some indonesian scammer as well because they can't find my animals here um it's not that they're not here. It's just I have most of them. <laughs> I, I have po I have pocketed just about as many as I can. <laughs> it's a monopoly, folks. Yeah, and so you know, I I love the animals. I, I I'm honestly doing the best I can to have as many and learn as much as I can from them. You know, and uh, hopefully this leads us into our next uh next topic a bit with you know learning learning um all the monitors that I have. You know. Um, I used to think, uh, and we were talking about this last time where I used to think that I can just do them all the same 
keep them all the same and they'll just have their own flow and rotation together. You know, maybe right. like maybe like how how all women have their 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 whoa danger apart. yeah their yeah. whole their whole thing together right um, and uh -huh. that's actually I, I'm not sure if it's 100% true at all that science in theory but um, I've heard both where they say it's not and some people say it is but you know I hope that all my all my monitors are the same where their cycle is in sync and um, they're basically doing everything at once all yeah. of it right now. What's great is that I didn't have to deal with eight or nine females all going at once. So that's actually better on my stress, right? And then I have them just periodically go. So I've, I'll have a couple females that are really, you know, they're with males and they're breeding and obviously they're, they're okay to go. But then I have other females that are either alone or there's a male in there just triggering them, seeing what they'll do. Um, and I get nothing. And so I'm okay with that because having, when I think about it, having, you know, half a dozen females all go at once, that's a lot. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of food to crank in there without having to really know what's what and who's gravid or not. I'm just feeding the hell out of them. They may make them more fat than anything, you know? So yeah, my, uh, my, my new, my new thing is learning behavior, trying to see, all right, these guys are, obviously okay to be breeding so let's you know let's worry about feeding them um right. but i have animals that aren't and i have to worry about them differently so you know with with how i have everything now um it's better for me to just work on animals individually and if they do have synced timings and everything is where i, I would say working together for those animals then i'll keep i'll keep at that but for the most part i'm gonna see how they what what they're showing me um if they're obviously attacking food and hitting the tongs and always out you know running at the glass for food then i'm probably gonna feed them a little bit more just spread out you know if they're not showing me much at all and they're i, I probably won't feed them a whole lot my animals i'm gonna be reading them a lot better just just by what I've been doing a whole lot more lately. Um, just trying to pay attention to them individually. I used to take them all on, think of them as a group, and although they are a group, it's just they don't work that way. Um, right. Yeah. So. so you have your different individuals of the same species, but then you also have different species that don't all act the same. So one of the things I – the safe approach for me was to treat everything like an Australian monitor. And even in that, I can't say, I would say more like an Aki. And that's a base starting point, but definitely have learned some lessons about doing that. Um, you know, and, and that's a common thing I think a lot of people have, have a mistake with is just whatever you're used to, uh, whatever works for that animal or species you're used to is kind of where you lean to and what you start from. And that's okay, but be able to make those adjustments yeah. as you see the problems come up um, or behaviors. You know, as Kai was saying, wild-caught monitors are going to act a lot different than monitors that have been captive bred for 30 years. There's, yeah. you know, um, that's just the truth about it. So in 30 years, might some of these Indonesian monitors act differently, more like uh, something that you could kind of write down and count on and that work maybe from coast to coast within a, a general range probably 
But until we get there, until we um, cross that line with a lot of these things that, you know, you have to treat them as individuals and they have their own backstory about how they were caught, how they were handled, you know, um, it's all life and death out there. So where my, my Aki's and even the Kim's will come running out of the cage when they see me coming for food, you know, the Indonesian stuff is running into tubes yeah. as soon as they hear the door open. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, and that, that's where, uh, you know, um, my, my behavior and how I set up, um, it varies between even the same species, just different animals and how they, how they behave. Right. So, um, honestly, I've, I've always, um, thrown this around where, you know, empty cage syndrome sucks or, you know, it's, it's basically where <coughs> you're, you're feeding a cage. You never see the lizard. You might see its tail. Water's dirty. Food's gone. And that's all you get. Right. <coughs> so that's empty cage syndrome. And, um, people hate that, you know, that's not mm-hmm. really rewarding, um, new beginners or if you can't if you can't stomach that or take that and just accept that animal for what it is it's not a really good pet um right for me (coughs) what i've had to do is turn some of these animals that are very wild and almost too frantic to be around me or other animals i've really had to get them out of their shell (laughs) <laughs> and, and the best way to do that is by regularly trying to work with them. And it isn't, you know, handling them and forcing myself upon them. I used to think it was that, you know, where um, they're going to you know, they're, they're gonna let me regardless or something like that. Or <laughs> you're, you're too overbearing, right? Or, or you're, just, you're just kind of, you're too touchy. I love you so much. <laughs> you, you, micro, you micromanage and you kind of more so of deal with the animal and um and really um try to try to tame it right but you're really work it's not really working working a um uh, it's really working against you because that animal never comes around so what i can what i do now for some of these animals is um i i have testing both theories out where if an animal is okay with having been subjected to a, a cage that's more bare. It still provides the essentials like, you know, climbing and basking and having elevated stuff to do. But um, there are no major tuckaways that they can just disappear from me. Um, <laughs> if they are hiding, you know, they're, they're only hiding in a wedge and they can still see me and I can still see them. Right. right. Um, but they're exposed now. And so I have two male clients that were both um, imported. One was imported as an adult, right? So he really hates life. Um, but I, <laughs> I've talked, to, I've talked to, about him before. Um, um, his name is his name is Ermius. Um, he, and hates then I have, he hates your life. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, he uh, and then I have another male that I recently just got. And so I'm able to to talk about two wild caught males that are basically uh, frantic, you know, right. um, they're really skittish. You, you touch them and they kind of go berserk. Now, uh, Ermius, he's so, he's quite old. Now I found out that he's probably upwards towards 10 or 12 years old. Cause when they saw him years ago, he was already pretty a good size. 
So, okay. you know, um, I would take it to at least several years old. And that was eight or nine years ago when they saw him. So, oh man. Uh, yeah. And so, that's good uh, to have some history on him. That's, that's cool that you, right, that. right. And so, you know, I think about him like more of like an older guy now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not an old guy, but he's just, uh, he's more primed and he's really w- aware of himself. He's really confident, you know, but he is still behaves like that wild caught type runs away from you really hesitant he'll come and tong feed and stuff like that but he'll heat like my coming towards me is lava or getting onto the floor is lava yeah and so he'll he, he'll know and he'll actually pause and stop right at that fine line of touching me you know and if, right. if it is he'll just go right back he's like oh no i, I know what he's trying to do uh, i have gotten him to touch me a couple times but after starving him for a good week or so you know, but that's that's his that's his limit right now. That's our relationship right, right now. Um, and he, at first, I took away all his hides, but he just you can tell that he was kind of just hating it. You know, um, really more so of chargy, aggressive. He didn't have anywhere that he could just tuck away and feel comfortable. So I think mm-hmm. he just he just felt more exposed than anything, right? And um, and I think it's he's just so set in his ways. So I just gave him his logs back. Now, the hollow tubes, they're no longer like just – I used to just face them any which way, you know, throw them in. They're slanted against the wall, and if his head's poking out, his head's poking out, and I see him. It can be facing the totally different – the entrance can be facing a totally different direction than me. And although it's fine as a hide, um, it actually – works against you a little bit because you can't be looking inside of it and he can't see you now um why i've used these tubes or why it's you know it's so popular for monitor people or or reptiles in general to use cork tubes um is because that's what they live in in the wild um we can explain about just real quick for the listeners not cork tubes but tubes tubes like they just tree hollows Right. right. So tree hollows is like a basically it's a cork tube in resemblance and and they, right. they you know they're they're um they provide that tight comfort where it fits the animal. Nothing else can harm it or you know it can it can hang out there, peer out, tuck back in if it needs to and basically be hidden by just moving uh, an inch back in into the thing, you know. Um now Young baby monitors, when they're born, majority of the species, even the ones that are, you know, like savannas or whatever that are typically more terrestrial types, they also take to the trees and they live in a hollow in a tree for quite some time. They'll be eating in and around it. They'll travel up and down, but they'll return to these more primed area that they've already claimed Um, and, you know, been in around and that's where they're going to stay at so the way reason why i recommend these these tubes for everybody that has questions with how to tame a monitor or how to get them to to you know be friendly with you or come out or or even experience them right um i recommend you take out all the bottom hides and have just a just enough soil where it, it remains it remains somewhat humid for you especially if you moisten up a corner but you're not trying to allow it to disappear into 10 inches or a foot of soil yet. Right. Okay. Yet. Now, these are just for smaller enclosures. 
So they're for people that are trying to get their animal to to come out of their shell. I'm not really recommending you to grab your animal and try to tame it, and this is how you're going to be bonding with it. I want you to really build a relationship with them so that way it's harder to destroy your your, your relationship with them. Um, you're going to be building these like Kevin from Nerd say thread by thread to build a stronger mm -hmm. rope. And you're just – what it does is this this tube, let's say if you elevate it and you have the entrance facing you and you don't have any other hides in there, their only resort is to go into this tube. And then they are – a lot of times they're more comfortable in this anyways. And so they'll be able to peer out at you and you can peer inside and this will be your way to see if the animal and you get reassured yourself that it's fine without having to rip up in the cage and do more harm to your guys's bond than good. Right. Mm -hmm. So the animal can also feel secure, also assured that you're not going to harm it inside this tube. And then it can watch you, you can watch it. And you guys are now doing this sort of dance now where it's you're you're not gonna be touching it. It's you're leaving it alone, letting it, you know, do its thing. If you want to feed it, put food at the entrance of the tube, let it eat from there, you know. Um, and try to just watch things as it does it. Then, you know, as you get more comfortable, you can tong feed it or try to lure it out of there. But this is your for for the people that have very shy monitors, this is your 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 icebreaker or your your timing mm -hmm. of all right how do how do I start this bond you know um, and so if you can get them to start taking food from you and then be comfortable with you because they've been watching you from time to time from this tube um, then you know you, you can try to build from this lure it out you know try to get it onto your hand if it it does and if it doesn't just take your time with it um, the small monitors they're really iffy even with this with this oh, yeah. uh, this method so you know this method is more for animals that are somewhat really curious but there's you know there's there's apprehension there you know um then you can try this on the very very skittish animals and just see how they are naturally don't even you know try to tongue feed them just put food in there see how they behave and right. get it to come out of, of its shell slowly. So, you know, depending on where your monitor is at, you'll really have to put a halt on, you know, your wanting it to be tamed. You're, you're, you're very far from that level just yet, you know. But if your animal is, you know, kind of apprehensive and not really nice but still takes food from the tongs and stuff like that, this would be a great addition to your enclosure where you'll just be working from this tube and trying to – bond with it you know through then um um you know on that note i'm also um some of what i've done for the the quarantine cages and for the shy animals that i know are very fresh wild caught to give them that peace until they adjust is i only put a uh, door on half the cage so i haven't installed the second set of doors yet because um i feel like it might be too much for them it's just something i'm trying out so the other side of it is it's a pain to get to everything in the cage. That's for sure. So I don't know how well I like that, but with what you're saying, I wonder if, um, what are they there? It's like almost like a, a screen where you can see out, but other things can't necessarily see back the other way. Um, 
You know yeah, what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I wonder I've seen. something like that would work on some of the windows or like half the windows. Uh, just an idea. You had me thinking as you're talking about this stuff. Like, what's a way I could see in that they couldn't see me? And I well, wonder if some. I guess that's would... a. That's also a. Well, what sucks about that is when they do see you, then it's like, oh man, who's this guy? You know. <laughs> True. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I have so I have this new mail right, and so the what I've been trying to test out my things on. Um, this guy. Um, so when he was living at Mike's before just before he came here he's only really been here for a few weeks um when he was living at my support basically he didn't really eat much because he was just always scared and living in a tube right yeah. um okay so i i've had this thing too where the animals just tube life it and it actually kind of hinders their health a little bit you know okay. they're not really doing a oh, whole, yeah. Not, yeah they're not doing a whole lot they don't bass they don't thermoregulate a whole lot they right um, you know, they're basically missing out because they're more scared and they'd rather hide than come out for an hour because right. you're, you know, you're around or there's noise or they're, that, that's just how they are, you know? Um, so with this guy, what I've done is going back to some older methods, even though I don't use these methods really much anymore because I'm not, I'm not really against them. It's just, they don't promote the best husbandry and things like that. And they're kind of older ways of thinking. And, you know, I'm trying to progress with all my setups in this way. Um, but yeah, so it's just, uh, really, um, me getting, getting to the point of this animal accepting the fact that I'm always going to be around. Um, I took away a lot of hides. The only thing that I did give him was a fair amount of leaf litter um, but other than that, he doesn't have a bunch of tubes or hides. He has a couple logs that he can kind of hide behind, um, and a water dish and a couple platforms to bask on. And that's really it. You know, um, he spends a lot of his time hanging on the walls. He seems to really like that. But my most favorite part about it is that he's taking a lot of food. He's actually eating, um, more than I thought he would. Typically, when animals are spending a whole lot of tube life and they come out rarely ever, they, they don't do a whole lot. They've basically been really stricken and um, more nervous than anything. Uh, I, uh, I always assume that, man, these animals aren't going to really be doing too well. And so they don't, you know, they either don't stay here or they go to, you know, they may go back to where they came from. Um, but in this case, I, I really thought, man, this guy was... He came to be so frantic, pretty frail, um, pretty skinny. And then now he's putting on weight, but being exposed to me and keeping him this way, like what I would say, how I kept <clears throat> in the 90s and two, early 2000s, you know, where I was just still using like newspaper or, or you know, bare bottom setups or things like that. <clears throat> now my cage is a newspaper and it does have the essentials it just does it's just not fully decked out like how i would normally set it up i would normally set it up with several tubes to hide in a bunch of clutter because most of my more comfortable animals that's the way they like their setups um yeah. but these other animals that are more frantic i kind of set them up where they have their their necessities but it's quite bare um there are no major ways to hide from me just because i don't want them hiding all the time and so this guy, because he does 
is exposed to basking more now. He's out in the open. Um, I'm I'm able to get him to eat more, put on some weight, and he looks really good. And um, you know, I'm not forcing him to eat a ton where he might throw up because his stomach can't handle it. But he's <laughs> definitely eating more and more by the week comes, and he seems to. At first, it was just one mouse, and then um you know maybe a mouse and a chick and now it's uh three mice and and then the next day a chick still so you know it's it's pretty decent that he's wanting to eat so much um and now, and now after a few months of this i'm gonna s- sit and get him more and more comfortable i'm going to then start adding some soil into his closure have the humidity balance out a little bit because it's sort of dry now with just leaf litter uh, that's all I wanted. I just wanted, if he wanted to, he can tuck under the leaf litter and get into complete darkness. But he kind of just stays on his top levels and stuff like that, rather than hanging out in the leaf litter, um, which which I'm okay with because he's out in the open rather than being so. Oh my god, I can't look at humans. I'm just gonna throw up, you know. <laughs> um, and there are those lizards. Like yes, you'll there get are. you'll get a Dorianus or some older mangrove or whatever monitor it was treated really horribly on import and everything like that um and you know captured and probably tied by the legs or by a noose you know sort of like hog alligator tied you know um they they they, those animals are gonna hate life they went through they went through the ringer um and they'll what they'll do is they'll defecate at the side of you they'll regurgitate at the side of you drop their food at the side of you not even take food from you. So some people think, oh, my monitor's not eating. No, well, your monitor doesn't want to eat from you. Um, right. And that's that's a real truth sometimes. And I rarely ever say that. It's just because we don't, we can't, we're not there to know that the monitor hates you. You know, right. but that's a real truth sometimes. The monitor doesn't want to eat from your tongs because you're, you're so overbearing or it's not. You know, and that's where the tube can come into play. It's in the right. tube. You leave food in the tube. It's comfortable. It'll likely take it from there, and you can watch it as from from afar. You know, real quick on that too, Kai. Um, something I learned with some of these imports recently, these fresh imports, is that there's also those animals that, um, yes, the best meal for them to get some calories on board and whatnot might be rodents or might be some other type of uh, like a, a chick or something like that. Okay. But they aren't willing to take, it doesn't excite them to grab something that's dead. All right. So you have your choices of getting something live, which can pose its own issues, but what's usually safe is um, live bugs of something that like the lobster roaches and for in my experience so far excite a lot better or entice a a lot better feeding response out of the animals than um a frozen thawed animal for these fresh imports and as you would know and i'm sure you've heard plenty of times with the grasshoppers the same way so Or if you run into that issue where you have an animal that isn't willing to eat, you have a very shy animal and wants to stay in a tube and it doesn't want to eat in front of you, not from tongs. This is where you have to be able to source some of these, these feeding items to help your animal catch on. And um, it might take months, you know, before 
they really do. I've had a few green or a few of the tree monitors now take directly from the tongs. Um, but usually it's like when they're in a tube and they're basically, you can just see their snout hanging out. There's a couple of them that'll take right off the tongs, but for the most part, you know, that's where they need to be. Uh, a lot of the, the Timors and whatnot, you know, good luck unless there's, <laughs> if, yeah. if I've trained them to eat out of a tube, like I, then they'll, they'll readily kind of shoot their head out to eat it. They'll grab it, pull it back in or, um, gravid females or i'm sorry uh females going through the reproductive process will act a little differently uh they'll be a little more aggressive towards food but you know you don't want some of these animals if they're going to be shy they're going to die inside that tube they're going to wither away until they're not strong enough to eat anything and then you're in a whole nother predicament so don't be stubborn with like pinks or chicks or whatever the food item is if it's frozen thawed if they're not eating, get them something that they're going to eat. And if that's grasshoppers, I know somebody. So, uh, <laughs> but it's true. They flutter, they jump, they move a certain way and the animals like it, you know? Um, okay. I went on my little tangent about that. Should I go back to my tangent? <laughs> no, yeah, that's all right, man. You're uh, it's we're we're on a million tangents anyways. I'm just looking at that list I sent you. Yeah. Um, yeah, trying so, to stay uh, on track. No, no, it's uh, I, this is like you know we got a lot. There's a lot that we have all the time. So this, there's many things that we can cover. Um, this, this is not going to be such a crazy episode, but it's good to just get stuff in and you know talk about some of our experiences because there's always going to be someone that can kind of relate, you know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, uh, speaking of that, um, with uh, man, some of my uh my indicus stuff i'm trying to see where i can put a lot of the work i just dump it all on facebook just because that's like the easiest thing to do but man i gotta probably put it on like youtube i have a channel it's just i don't always update to it just because my videos are kind of crummy or, or <laughs> you know, they're just they're just quick like 20 30 seconds they're rarely ever like oh let me just explain a bunch of stuff you know it's like yeah i just yeah 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 Oh, while we're on that, things that have, uh, um, I got a phone again. So, <laughs> yay. Not yeah. Too bad I'm flat on my back. But, yeah, I got a phone that actually takes pictures and works again. So, you know, things are looking yeah. up. Um, speaking with, uh, speaking about uh, your the phone, thanks for sending me those the pictures of those bulbs. Um, oh, yeah. I, I'm going, you know, I, I took a little a little big break from using some of the UV stuff just cause I wasn't really understanding how to use the, the meter, some of the bulbs I was going through, what complimented, what the best, what didn't complement something so much and right. um, how I was going to adjust. Right. So, um, my whole time I've been really looking for low watt UVB and heat together. So mercury vapor bulbs that are, 40 watts and 50 watts but they don't exist um right. you know and i had to go with 70 watt mega rays and like like you know other stuff that's like 80 watts like the power suns or solar glow or or whatever other ones you know um i myself have had to because summertime was so hot using those bulbs in most of my enclosures i would only really need to use one to heat up the enclosure 
And uh, although that does sound great, um, I have to disperse my heat out thoroughly. So that means I'd have to add another bulb there, which would make the cage too hot or make the basking spot all weird um, or burn the animal if I only use one bulb. Um, right. or, they're, or they're more so they're such big animals that one bulb isn't enough. You know, and so what we recommend for these larger animals, bigger than two to three feet, we recommend multiple smaller watt bulbs. And that's where these 80 and even the 70 watt, 80 watt and 100 watt, 125, 160 watt mega rays for me don't work because my cages aren't entirely tall. Um, you know, but I've been spending some money and doing some testing and trying to get other things that I like and what I like the most. Um, to be honest, I like my UV setup that are linear bulbs the most still because they don't throw off so much heat and whatever heat they do off, throw off is just enough to add a little bit of ambient to the enclosure. Mm -hmm. Right. But I also have, you know, purchased like VivTech stuff. Um, and I've purchased a couple other UV bulbs and they were either too hot or, you know, like for, for my stuff that are slightly bigger, the VivTech stuff bulbs, although I, I love their style and they're only three Watts and it's an led UV. Um, it's just not a whole lot for the one bulb that I purchased, right? It, it the beam is very narrow, although it works efficiently for the distance in meter, um, and how strong it is, it just, it's not fitting so well to what I want, you know, maybe right. if I had some dwarf monitor baby hatchlings and I coupled that next to it, then, then that'd be a great usage for that bulb. But currently, um, I've had to put them back on the shelf until I figure out what I'm going to be doing more with them. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I just have to figure out what I'm going to be doing with those bulbs now. Because um, I have smaller setups that I want to hook up and smaller lizards that would benefit from them. But what I want to really use these bulbs for are my bigger breeders um, and bigger animals that, you know, they, 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 they seem to benefit from them. So I've been buying UV bulbs and looking up some more styles that I can get into um, without, um, without harming my animals, trying to go the safe way. Um, I feel like my Kimberly's adding the UV or the mega rays back into the enclosure has seemed to really perk them up um, for have for not having it over the winter time and stuff like that. I think maybe like a month or so ago, I, I put them back in just because I, I wanted to see, see a change or see if, you know, they'll perk back up or something like that. Cause they weren't, they weren't doing a whole lot coming into the season. Um, right. So you know, I gave them UV, things like that. Um, started using this Jungle Dawn again. Um, I just basically plugged it back in, turned off the 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 VivTech one, turned on the the um, Jungle Dawn, and basically have a, you know, it's a it's a longer linear bulb. It's nothing crazy big, but it's a good uh, it's a good foot long, I think, or 14 inches or so. Um, and um, yeah, it lights up the cage a lot better. You know, it's it's the spectrum from uh, a foot distance left to right still holds the same rather than just one narrow spot. Um, and so it lights up my enclosure a little bit better, gives them a, a better basking gradient rather than having them just 
you know, it's really on a, a, a couple inches above their above their head or whatever, you know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it's been some fine tuning because I really now have to once I come back from my trip up north, I have to um, literally go through. I bought a bunch of bulbs, and Alan's going to be sending me some new bulbs as well. Um, of these, they're what are they, bro? They're 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 they're, they're nine watt uh, UVB LED bulbs. So basically, what they are is like um, so the bulbs that Kai is referring to for the listeners out there are three watt, um, the smaller bulbs, and they have like let's say they have one diode that puts out UVB. Now three of them might put out UVA. And then a series of other diodes are, are just bright LED lights like you'd find in a uh, plant LED light. So they're just just for light because the UVB diode doesn't put out a ton of light whatsoever. In fact, I think, you know, if you turn the lights off, you'd barely tell if it was on. You can if you look directly at it, but it doesn't put off a ton of light. Um, that's one thing people need to understand. They don't put off a ton of light. Now, uh, some of the newer constructions of some of these bulbs that I'm seeing – they have those brighter LEDs in there along with the UVA LED diodes and the UVB. So the nine watt is essentially um, a bigger all around uh, bulb, like how what we say bulb, but it, it's a fixture that has the diodes in it. And it's basically like three of the three watts in one. So there's three uh, UVB diodes. I think there's basically twice the number of UVA and then the, regular bright um like plant uv whatever whatever they are led diodes so um hopefully they'll they'll give kai a wider um spread of the uvb still still within one area so the animals can get away from it but big enough to to cover the entire animal or not i'm sorry wouldn't be the entire part of the animal rather than i mean because what i was trying what what my goal was here and if you look at the wattage here, I'm I'm looking to use maybe 10 or 15 or less wattage. I don't mm-hmm. want to be adding uh, another because most of those bulbs are you know 70, 80 watts. And so what I'm looking for here is to use as many or try as many of these different low wattage, less than 10 watts. You know, so the one that Alan's going to be sending me is a nine watt. I'm hoping that that bulb in addition to my two other floodlights that are connected to each other, work well. And so I'd have a three-bulb combo that the two floodlights are already distance enough. They cover a, a three-foot lizard, which is basically the, the, the size of my animals, quite well, at least from nose to vent or nose to most of the tail is all right. covered by basking lamp. And so if I add one more bulb that's the uv one that we're talking about now that's nine watts i'm hoping that that would give them you know the the necessity and uv that they need um i haven't really been putting uv to the test because i can say that animals under uv have bred for me but also animals under not under uv have been breeding for me so and I've been having viable clutches both ways. Um, so I can't really say that, oh, man, one's definitely the answer. One isn't, you know. Um, 
I'm testing them both out still. Not only do I notice when they're lethargic and I put them underneath the sun or I give them UV, they definitely perk back up in a different way. Um, so, you know, I, I have to really take that into account that, man, you know, these dwarf monitors are small. Maybe they deplete calcium a lot more or, you know, they need some, the sun, the sun is a little bit more beneficial for them just because they're so smaller, you know. Um, or the fact that my Kimberleys are from an area where it does get much more sunlight and my mangroves are dense jungle animals and they don't get a sun, lot of sunlight. You mm -hmm. know, that's why they're still breeding and they actually dislike intense UV so much. You know, they'd rather not be underneath it unless it's the parameters are correct. And so right. on some of these bulbs, the mercury vapors or even, you know, some of the UV bulbs that are highly intense, if you're using the wrong one on the wrong type of lizard, just because someone recommended it for you, um, and they basically seem like they're squinting, you, the, you can see it. There's, they'll be squinting underneath this light. You know, it's almost like they have to use it, but it's so much so bright or whatever that they they don't open their eyes fully. Um, you know, they'll they'll also not really be basking and hiding where well they'll be hanging out where if you use a solar meter where their meter should be, you know, where the where the actual distance and everything like that is proper for them. Um, so for me, I've been trying to stay within the two to right. three three mark right and for the kimberleys i'm okay with three to four but still three is 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 perfect for me um now for the mangrove stuff i'm aiming at about 2.5 and that's great for my distance so far and what i'm utilizing in the jungle dawn um that's a, that's an arcadia bulb um and so yeah that's to for the uvb talk real quick i just you know um Taking oh, it back and forth, and no, I'm sorry, just just for my part, just uh, oh. adding it back and forth, and and um, really, you know, testing it out here and there. I really have now found more smaller wattage bulbs, and utilizing these just because the other ones weren't really cohesive with how my setups and my temperatures and everything are. They made the cages either too hot, or they're just it just yeah, it just didn't work too well. So I, what I like is something that's very low heat in addition to my floodlights where I don't have to change my floodlight spectrum at all with the 80 watt power sun or, or the 70 watt mega ray. Uh, it just kind of throws off my, how my, my basking gradient is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you I, oh, I, so mm -hmm. for the listeners out there that have been um, with us for a while, or if you look at my social media stuff or other things, you'll know that I don't use a lot of UV and I'm, I'm a huge skeptic of it uh, in a lot of ways. As of recently, though, I have been using more UV um, bulbs specifically. And I'll, I'll say it's that's the truth of things. I've been using them more, but it's, some of it's out of necessity because California has some weird laws to get uh, something like a regular incandescent bulb floodlight where you have to, it has to be labeled like reptile bulb and then you can still get it, but usually you're paying a premium for it just because it has a logo on it. Um, so I've been talking with Kai and trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to project for the future? What am I going to use to heat my, my enclosures for the future? Because we have this problem. So 
some of the things I've tested out is the smaller uh, G9 and even some G10 halogen type bulbs. So the G9 fixtures are what uh, Zilla's used in their like mini dome fixture, their Pro Soles, uh, those type of things. And I've been able to figure out ways to use them that are very convenient and they work great. Um, but they, they have their limitations as well. And definitely for larger monitors, they're a smaller bulb. Um, so it's a smaller basking area. And I'm hesitant to use them for large monitors unless I put like three of these um, pro soles next to each other um, to cover enough animal or to, to achieve what I want. So for the larger lizards, um, I've had to result to finding some regular incandescent bulbs, which I have found now. They're still a little smaller than like your regular par 38 size, um, but also the couple you, next to another bulb they do they, they they would probably do really well right yes couple yes. next to another halogen or another floodlight right absolutely um so so and for the smaller guys they work fine um but the medium-sized monitors that i have i still needed a larger bulb altogether so what actually has been working for me is uh, it's very similar to a mega ray Basically, it's an all-in-one heat and UV 100-watt bulb. Now, the way I use it, I use it in the walk-in enclosures because I can get that bulb high enough off the ground where it makes still a good basking spot. I can keep my, my uh, UV meter reading under four is what I'm aiming for um, because my own opinion, you can definitely oversaturate animals, including monitors and it can be very detrimental to their health. Um, yeah. And that's what we're tr trying to do here. Learning the balance. Because, right. Um, you know, they, we know that monitors don't bask all the time. Uh, we know like lizards love to partially hang out in the shade and come out and creep out into the, you know, and go right back and forth. And, um, you know, they're not just, just the misconception of some reptiles that they're always loving the sun and sun chasing. It's just, it's not, it's not true at all. If yeah, that's not true. Yeah, if that were the, the case, and, you know, they wouldn't have time to do all the other stuff. You know, right. That's, that's basically it. They wouldn't have time to hunt and chase. And essentially, if they were to be basking, the, let's say your lamps are on 12 hours. If they were to be basking majority of that time, they really wouldn't have a whole lot of time to eat or do anything else. Um, yeah. They'd just be sitting there cooking. And then we know that that's, that's kind of like, oh, man, where – they're um, just sitting there, not doing a whole lot. They're, your cage is probably not hot enough. You know, your basking yeah. surface temperatures aren't hot enough. Um, for for me, what I kind of watch is if they're sitting there all the time, and man, they're just you know always kicked under there and don't seem to be doing a whole lot. For one, they're dehydrating at the same time. Now, if that were to be quick spurts, and they're basking for you know several minutes or less than an hour, you know, basically. It's several minutes, bask, get up, go, come back, do the same thing, bask, come and go. And that's how they're going to go throughout their day if they need to recharge. You know, but they're, if they're just sitting there laying there, they're currently dehydrating at the same time because they're just naturally dehydrating when they're basking. You know, yep. it's, it's just so much heat on them. So, so the way I have those set up in the, the large walk-in enclosures is, you know, they're maybe, maybe a foot down from the ceiling. So um, they're still probably a good three to four feet away from the animal um and 
where I'm getting these from. So this is from Grant over at GX3. They're local to me. Um, he went ahead and contacted his own manufacturers. And um, so he's getting these wolves in. He used them himself with his animals. So he keeps a very uh, few different, you know, he keeps uh, cell fins. Um, he keeps uh, black dragons, some lace monitors, a uh, few other things. And he, he's worked with monitors for a long time. Um, so he tested them out first and, you know, I've been able to go see his animals, see his setup, see how far he was using them. Um, he's tested them. I've now tested them with my own meters. So I knew going into that these were safe to use and I knew apparent, uh, about how far away I needed to use them if I was going to use them. So what I was going for was through the colder months, I needed, um, something that would heat the enclosure efficiently that was going to last a while. Cause I was going through in the winter. I keep, I keep 24 seven heat for those larger enclosures. It's just, it's a necessity for me. They have plenty of places to get away to, um, to hide. They can go down where it's dark and whatnot, but to keep the enclosures warm enough, I need to use 24 seven heat in these uh, enclosures, unless I'm going to put them down, um, which it gets cold. There's enough of a temperature drop already. I don't want to turn the lights off there. Um, but I was also going through some of these regular incandescent floodlights, like one a month. Now, maybe it was my setups, but it seemed pretty regular at 24 seven on all the time. I was going through them like once a month and here in California, they're not easy to get. So, um, this mercury vapor bulb basically has been going on three months now and still doing everything the way it was supposed to. So, yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things I had a discussion with Grant about was that it, it, they do last a while. And so far it is, it's doing everything I want it to. So out of necessity, uh, I'm using this bulb. Can I say that I see anything different in the walk-in enclosures? I can't because the animals were doing everything that, right. Right. But I, I was feeding rodents. It's not like I'm feeding, you know, um, a lot of roaches to these big guys or whatnot. Um, but I, you know, with the sand monitors, I've had clutches already with no UV whatsoever. So I'm, I'm curious to see what the next upcoming clutches now using UV will be. Uh, will they be larger? Will they, you know, be healthier? I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to take from this yet, but I am using more of it. Also with the, um, I mentioned this in another podcast, the animals that I'm trying to just use bugs on or that will only take bugs right now. I'm definitely offering UV because I do think it makes a difference if they're not willing to take any, any uh, rodents or anything. So I'm using them in there and I'm using the, uh, some Zoomed tube types and I'm also using some UV types uh, or I'm sorry, LED types. Um, so Everything seems to be working all right right now. I I don't see any uh, real different. I haven't bought any of those those. I, I find them kind of pricey. The although I I've I spent a ton on bulbs, I spent yeah. a ton on bulbs to be brought in, you know, for us. Um, but are you talking about the the Zoomed ones? Or are you talk what which one? Any are you of them. About? The ones that are yeah, they look like a little block, right? They, oh, I'm not using those. I'm, I'm well, sorry. I'm using the regular, um, um, like T5 oh, okay. uh, stuff. Yeah. 
Um, sorry. Yeah, to be clear, Zosumet has a, a newer bulb out that's an LED UVB is what Kai's referring to. It's expensive. It's yeah. like um, 20 bucks or something. Yeah. Um, you know, I, w- I would be willing to try it to see what it's about um, to give it a go. But I haven't seen, uh, you know, all the different things. I, I also use the mini tubes that uh, Zilla puts out for the, uh, the Pro Souls because they take those G9 fixtures. So I'm using a few different brands, a few different types. Um, everything seems to be working fine, but I can't necessarily say I'm seeing a difference yeah. between when I wasn't using them. That, that's what's. Then, that's the hard. That's why we can't really. You and I can't really say indefinite. Like, oh, yeah, UV definitely makes a difference in in egg production alone, or or they, you know, they it, you get success better. Um, not to say that it doesn't either. Okay. Right. Um, you know. But there are some instances, like like I said myself, where my animals have perked up because of UV, especially the Kimberleys definitely perked up because of UV, because um, they didn't really have much of it through winter time. I kind of just kept their their bulbs relaxed and not all blistering hot, and you know they just um, they bask a little bit longer, but it's uh, it's not you know anything crazy. And, and you know, um, you bring up another thought that I've had about using UV. Is just what if you started it out on a scale where you started providing UV, you know, at certain times during the spring and then more UV in the the summer and then you backed it back off and didn't use it through the winter. So, you know, you're you're almost giving your animal both worlds where they can if there is any kind of uh, radiation involved or it's absorbing that maybe it can deplete some of that as well. So yeah. um, we don't know how harmful some of these newer bulbs are as well. That's a that's yes. a tricky thing. We're we're using our animals as guinea pigs for some of these newer stuff, and you know, hopefully, we can we're paying attention enough to really see if um, this will do the trick or not, or if these are the number one bulb. There, I thought I don't you know now that we're looking at it, and you know, you and I are. We're, we're, we're pretty accepting to a lot of new things. Even if it doesn't work for us, it may work for a whole other setup. Right. And I think that's where all of these bulbs come into play, what we're talking about. I think we're covering half a dozen bulbs, you know, where it's there are mega rays and there's power suns and there are, you know, the fluorescent tubing still, the T5 stuff. And there are the, um, like I have the Jungle Dawn stuff. Now there's different degrees of uv on how they have it rather than just having like a desert and a water call before you know like a desert or right. rainforest before right it was a 2.0 or 5.0 when we were younger now it's a whole lot whole lot different better understanding we have these uv meters now that are also helping us read and judging by the animal's natural habitat you're gonna go by and gauge what what it should actually read in preference for that animal um, right so yeah it's 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 tough because all of these can be beneficial in 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 a, in a, in a setup either which as sorry they're beneficial for just about any setup as long as it's complementary to how that setup needs to work um, right like your tall ones your 100 watt 160 watt uvb large mercury vapor bulbs do really well because your tall cages can support it, right? But right. my my three to four foot cages, not so much, just because those cages are those bulbs in those cages 
basically will overheat it and how I want to do the, the basking bulb. So my dilemma is this. I, I want to have three spots that take bulbs. So it's three different fixtures and it covers the whole lizard because that's mandatory, right? And what's not mandatory it, or what isn't recommended more so is having one giant bulb over the lizard and that also causes burns and whatever else. Right. So for me to use a 80 watt or even a hundred watt and then still use my other floodlights that are already a standard size, they don't really get too much lower than 35, 40 Watts. Um, it's really difficult, you know, well, let's say if in his really big enclosures, he can have the floodlight next to a decent sized power sun or mercury vapor bulb. And they'll still work pretty well because that cage can support, you know, but in yeah. mine, not so much. Um, oh, one other thing for, for people out there that I wanted to make sure uh, if you're going to get the LED UVB bulbs from VivTech or whatnot, um, I would recommend not using them in a double dome fixture because the heating element you might have next to it is going to be enough. If it's anything over like 50 watts, it's going to be enough to actually overheat the LED bulb. There's a reason like on the small ones, especially you'll see that that housing it's housed in a way that's meant to also cool it off. Um, and if it can't cool off, it's going to overheat and it's going, you're going to kill your, your UVB bulb. So don't use them in a double dome if you can avoid it or uh, use it on a much lower wattage, like heat fixture in that double dome with it. Um, so the way I've had to use them, unfortunately I had to learn that lesson is uh, what's that you melted one. No, they just overheat. They they don't melt because it's usually metal housing, but the uh, the whatever circuits are because it's basically like a little computer chip inside of those. Um, they can overheat, and uh, they do actually get really hot. Even though LEDs don't put off a lot of heat, the, the whole unit, the whole unit itself, when I touch it, it gets it gets quite yes. warm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, take that into account when you're when you're setting up your your lights and everything. So I've been able to use them in those ceramic fixtures. Just like you can get the plain ceramic fixtures like we've used for ages that are dollar ninety nine, or like the newer version that have a metal bracket you can uh, screw to the top of a cage. Uh, I've used it in that way. That's mainly what I'm doing now. I'm buying a ton of those, and so I have the heating element and then the LED. UVB bulb on one side of it so and pointed out a big enough basking spot where they can choose to be under it or not so on one side of the basking spot um, they can be under UVB and on the other side or most of the you know the other circle I guess you could say um, they can be away from it or they can kind of choose if they want a gradient on that basking spot um also they can go on the far side of just the uvb where they don't have to be in the basking spot but they can still be under the uvb if they want to um i'm doing this so that i can see what they're doing what they prefer unfortunately i don't notice anything i just see monitors running around a cage or the ones that hide are hiding somewhere in the cage so <laughs> i can't say i'm noticing one way or the other like anything specific um you know sometimes people tell me well i see my monitor just basking I don't see my monitor sit that long. I don't, you know. Mine don't, mine don't sit there underneath the UV like that. Right. They don't, they mine, don't sleep there. That's for sure. Yeah, mine, mine don't do that. In fact, that kind of concerns me sometimes when someone says, oh, he likes to take a nap under the UV. Uh, 
I would take a look at some other things because, you know, usually they're under that heat bulb for a second. They'll warm up. They'll kind of flatten out and do the whole pancake thing. Uh, they'll warm up, especially right after they eat or if they're going to take a dump sometimes. They'll do that. And um, and then they're off and running again. You know, uh, you feed them some. They'll go try to warm up. I, I don't know. Just watch their behavior and um, make sure what you're seeing is them liking that UV and yeah. not something else going on. Mine, mine when I have the, the other UV on, they're like, once they're done basking, they're on the other side of the enclosure. Right. So that's where I'm like, oh, man, is your is your current UV too strong? I try to have it, like, at the, you know, the very farthest end of the cage. And then the other cage, the other the whole other section of the cage is, is almost dark, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I will say this. Nothing replicates the sun. Animals know what, instinctively know what the sun is. Okay. Um, they're not going to be fooled. And something funny that I, I guess I should mention here, I don't know if I mentioned it before, is when I was trying to keep grasshoppers, I'm not good at it, so I stopped trying. Um, when I had the doors shut and just like the regular lights on in the room, when they would flop out of the cage, they would kind of flutter to like over here, over there when I'm chasing them. If I had the, the like roll up door open, they would jump out of the cage, do that like inverted fighter jet turn, and then just take off and never hit the ground straight out to the sun. Okay. Yeah, they know. Now, these are bugs and these aren't monitors, but we talk sometimes about, or you've heard it said that monitors have like an extra cone in their eye that might help them see in a different spectrum. It's theorized. I want to say that it, it's theorized that it's the UVB spectrum, but honestly, we don't know that yet. I haven't read anything that confirms that that's what they're seeing. So yeah. that's part of me being a skeptic. It's like, well, hold on a second. Have we done like a, a test in any direction to confirm that? Or is it just what we think is going on? So that's like tangent on top of tangent. Going back to the grasshoppers, if that is what's going on, I definitely noticed that with the grasshoppers. They know exactly what the sun is, and that's yeah. where they want to be to get away from me. They're addicted to the light. Right. Addicted to the light, yeah. So, And we'll also hear of animals like um, when you have a cage that's set up near a window maybe they get the morning sun and I hear it a lot that, well, the animal will go up to the glass and cause they like the UV or the UVB, but hold on. UVB does not penetrate normal window glass. Okay. So it's not the UVB they're going after. So what is it that is they're, they're still being attracted to it. You're seeing what you're seeing, but yeah. what is it exactly that? Is it just, they know that's the sun that it brings warmth. Is it still the rays of the sun heating up? you know, the cage in a different way, uh, or do they just enjoy it? So different things to be aware of, um, you know, things I think about all the time. Um, yeah, I guess I'll stop with that. I could go into more things I'm messing around with. It'll never be done with me until I have an answer I'm satisfied with. I'm yeah. going to try everything. I'm going to keep a base group that I kind of judge things against. Um, that's just how I operate. It's my own little, going to probably be my lifelong little experiment, um, where I know for myself what's going on and what I like and what I don't like. I will say that I like the LEDs in a cage. I think they give off good light. In fact, I got these, um, um, strip little LED lights that are, that have a, a 
thin cover over them. So they're not like a rope. They're in a piece of plastic and they have kind of an opaque piece of plastic and they can screw right into the top. It's just a small strip. They're cheap. Uh, something else that Grant started carrying. And I think they're maybe about like 18 inches to two feet. So in a four foot cage, that's great. I, I don't like them when they span the entire cage. Cause I want like a dark corner for the animals sometimes still. Um, but it still gives off some, some real good light. And so I'm messing around with those in conjunction with the, the UV or cages that don't have UV and just a basking light and different things like that. So, uh, kind of what I got going on, you know, just as far as lighting. Yeah. We got on that one hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to cover. We can go through our, our whole setups kind of, and basically go on made million tangents, but, um, yeah, man, I've just been just been swamped lately. Finally no started sh- finally started shipping out monitors again. Um, yeah, yeah, my first one, first first one of the year was a uh, good success. No uh, no headaches, man. This person was been waiting since like November since I hatched them. You know. Um, oh man, um, I could have shipped it. It's just uh, there's two things, you know. Um, Sometimes the mangroves take a little bit to, to get going how I like them to go. Like they're they're little gremlins. So to anybody else um, that doesn't kind of understand what I mean, they just pop out out of nowhere, like their food, and disappear, and then they're gone, right? Yeah. So, so to to most beginners, that is very bad because you know they think, oh man, what's wrong with this little lizard? It's not you know perky. It's captive bred. It's supposed to be. So I kind of keep them a little bit, get them out of their shell, get them tongue feeding and or somewhat used to me, right? Um, or, right. Or used to like a routine. So that way I can just have this other person copy the same routine. And then it's just really adjusting and transferring routine. You know, it's, that's really just it. Um, but um, another reason is because uh, the whole complex of Indicus, I mean, and even most monitors, you know, um, they start off one color and then they end up a whole another color. Yeah. So for me to sell them while they're still very black with little spots, I kind of have an idea on what they're going to look like because I've seen it a dozen times because I've hatched out quite a few, right? But I just love to see it over again. And I, yeah. and I want to see what comes in underneath. If it's something different than I've already produced before, is it the same? Um you know, uh, and and really, uh, is this something worth keeping? Is it, you know, worth more than it is or whatever? So, you know, I kind of hold some back for several months, just like now. So now October, November, December, January, February, March, um, I've held on to them for half a year, roughly. And, uh, you know, grown them slowly, not rushing them because I don't want to nor not, not, not only do I want to, but want a bunch of sub-adults here. I'd rather keep them small as possible so the person can also enjoy them. But I don't need for them to grow really fast, you know? Yeah, I don't want I don't want them to be all that fast growing. Right. And um, yeah, just you take your time. You're gonna get fed a few times a week. That's perfectly fine. There's no need to stuff you every day. Um, you, they don't even like that, you know. Um, and so yeah, just uh. I've been um been playing with my monitors more, the especially this, you know, these last these last couple clutches from 
um, 2021 because that was a very good, very, very good year for monitor, well, monitor wise for me, but just, um, just learning a whole lot. And then now coming into this year, hatching coli and, um, you know, just things like that, getting, getting into the mix a little bit more, having animals lay and getting new animals too. So, um, yeah, man, it works that, that cult, that then the new big female took a couple bites to the tail recently, but I washed those out, took out the water dish and she just dried up, like healed, like Wolverine kind of. Yeah. And they do. Uh, And to anybody that hasn't tuned in before or didn't catch it, why, or Kai, do you want to explain why you're taking out the water dish? Oh, I take out the water dish to keep the wound from getting wet. And then they spend so much time and they shit in the water and it gets mucky. It basically becomes a bacteria build in a, in a day or so with the heat buildup, right? Right. So I avoid that by keeping the water clean and just giving them a smaller water dish that they she definitely can't get into and right. wet wet her, her wounds. Um, so those wounds basically heal up very fast if they're dry and kept, uh, kept steadily dry rather than allowed to be wet. So even when I rinse them with iodine and water, um, I pad them dry and then I let them sit in a, like a, what it is, is a ton of paper towel in at the bottom of a bin and it's just soaking up all the excess water and then they go into a cage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it sucks because. The male's like, man, where's my water dish at, bro? <laughs> I like this thing. You know, he loves he loves just thrashing in it and going underneath yep. it. And yeah, he, he if he can have a, a huge water feature, you know, he'd probably really love it, but I can't really do that for the whole setup. Um it's just the nest bins are more more important. So um I gotta get him something like better elevated. Then I can probably do a one that's slightly bigger. And then yeah. he can just go underneath it. I don't lose space. But yeah, if I give him a l- larger water pan right now, it's just like. And then not only that, lugging that thing too. I have these right. kitty litter kitty litter pans that are big enough. You know, they're like, I don't know, thirty inches or twenty four inches or something like that. You know. Yeah, I think the same thing about the the Dorianus. Um, the larger dish or larger dishes that I give them, they'll be in, and so. You know, <laughs> I was afraid of this, but I think they like water. Uh, they're a little more aquatic than I, I want to admit. Yeah, they and, definitely love water, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and you probably know more about this with the, the Indicus complex, but especially their mangrove monitors. Mangroves grow yeah. in water, near water. And, um, you know, a lot of these animals, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just if they can't run through the, the treetops or run through the brush um they do the iguana thing and just drop into the the waterway and swim off you know um i found them sleeping in there so it's funny when i find them sleeping in there sometimes and they realize i'm in the room (laughs) yeah my guys sleep in the water all the time on hot days or or whatnot sometimes they sleep in the water too much you know i'm just like yo you just it's just you're just making a mess right right I'm taking this away from you. And yeah. it's not like the humidity in the room is off the humidity. I, I walk in there. I'm already sweating my butt off, but, yeah. uh, Sleep, yeah, sleeping just like, on the water's edge. I think that's what they like to do. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they tuck under those branches, those, uh, the roots actually. And, you know, into a, a moist or wet 
um, earth and, and whatnot. And just their, their pattern, everything, it works. They say cryptic under there. Um, you know, and I'm sure yours do the same thing. They, they curl up their tails, um, just get real compact. Even if they're a large lizard, they can get real compact under those areas. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just disappear on you too, man. Right. Like I, I have a, underneath the basking area for my eight foot enclosure and I have it in my, my other, my other, my other seven footer as well. Um, underneath the basking area, I have like, that's cause it's hot. Um, mm -hmm. I have this, you know, this pile of just like leaves. Like it's just, it, you know, there's already a 10 inches of foot of soil in the cage, but then just, there's just so much more. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they, uh, they, they spend a lot of time going through that as well. Like not on yeah. top of it, but through it. Um, and they, you know, they, they like either add to it or they'll take from it and they kind of level it out a little bit, but and then I just, just throw more on top, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, the stimuli with the leaf litter and how they get to utilize it. You know, I was kind of talking about this I always, you know, brash about this where people, you know, they have pretty cages, but they don't have functioning cages. Um, just because, you know, they don't really think about the soil. Like if you look at how they made the enclosure, it's like you only left two inches for the bottom, you know, like that's not, that's not enough. Right. right. So, um, it's to make the cage complete. It's, that's why I call it pretty. It looks nice, but it's just makes missing some functionalities in it that, that'll definitely make it the cage it should be, you know, um, and right. that's essentially, uh, one foot, two foot, or even more, depending on how much soil you need, you know, um, to have uh, sustainable humidity, nesting options, and whatnot, and even just uh, just for the animals' stimuli, you know. When um, you, for for me, I always think about having a lot of this, this when I was younger, or or just growing up, like all right, I'm going to have a ton of soil. But man, it was so hard to actually really achieve, you know, like let's yeah. say having, um, having a ton of sand before when I had flabbies or flabby crosses. Um, I basically killed the female because I didn't keep the sand and everything like that moist enough. And I think my nesting options were just really crummy, you know, just because what I was able to apply and what I really knew, you know, but yeah. like the sand needed to be you know sure someone told me hey what you're using is sand but no one told me that you also need to add pitchers of water into there <laughs> you know and, and have it so it holds a burrow really well you know right. you don't really understand that part and so you just have you know a foot of sand and you think you're you're done but really that's actually not not adequate at, at all right um, you know and so so now i really i really think about what i have going on with 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 them um if I don't have them with a bunch of nice soil, that sandy soil that they can turn, um, man, their skin sucks. Their skin is yeah, it, like, it, it almost like it deteriorates on itself. Um, yeah, and um, either it's stuck shed, or it just basically looks like the skin is dry, and then it takes from the color. The overall, it, the animal just looks and appears more drab, right? And yep. so I've seen them when they're they're gorgeously like hydrated fresh shed man the skin the color looks amazing but you know i've had them where i set them up and i kind of kept them quite 
dry for a little bit, whether it's, you know, um, getting them into season or just trying to change the weather a little bit. Basically, you know, it, you can definitely see the difference in some of their some of their look. Um, and yeah. then, you know, they're like revamped. I add the humidity and all that stuff back in and the animal looks, wow, you look really good. You know, your yellows are popping and all that stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how it is with with my bigger male. He actually, I actually learned that, man, this guy likes, he likes the, the sandy soil like deep before. Because, you know, remember before I was only using like, like dry and dry mixed sandy soil. Or I'd right. have that, that mixture with um, like repti- the, the cocoa blocks or the cocoa chips, right? right? Um, and, you know, that like, people would say that that's a really good bedding. And, um, you know, in some in some cases it can be. But for, for me and what I want to use it for, it actually it's, it, it's not great at all. Um, and so, you know, I, I like the whole consistency of soil and my animals, it's like, they're all wild caught, so it kind of gives them a real natural feel, you know. Um, and they really get a get a a real a, a real stimuli out of doing the digging and turning it all, you know. Um, so, yeah, man, I can't I can't take that away from them anymore. Before it's like, all right, I could just you know give you a little bit whatever, and I'll maintain your humidity, right? But right. now now I don't keep like that anymore. I have my enclosure work for me. And um, I no longer just I have to mist you or I have to soak you because I need right. to get your humidity right now. Now it's now I have this cage work for me because you know doing that in ten enclosures or with a dozen animals. It, I mean, even five animals. It's that's you know five bins or five times you got to refill those bins to soak them all. Or you know it's 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 it, it can be a headache to have to do that. What whatever weekly or something like that or daily. How however you need to do it. You know right so yeah (laughs) hence why i'm on my back right now (laughs) now a sneeze did it but it was probably all the work i did you know the couple days prior to that um but you're right and you know i tried to i i use the the cocoa blocks basically (coughs) i use it with some dwarf monitors for the way i have it set up it works great i'm not missing anything with the um, the ones I'm using it with, uh, I can spray them down it dries out, but they have nest boxes, humid hides they can get to. And it seems to be working fine. I can also use it with certain animals. Like, uh, I have one-off males that I don't have anywhere to go with right now. Um, kind of in a, in a temporary setup and they work fine. Um, but like you said, I do have to be on top of spraying or making sure that there's moisture in the cage other than just the water bowl and whatnot. So that is part of the game. Uh, now I don't spray every day. I'll spray every two, three days for some of these guys. I don't use it with the, none of like the, um, um, Dorianus. I was at first, but I've since changed. Um, there's one that I still have to change, but he's got like, six inches of that stuff. So it's still wet on the bottom. So it's accomplishing kind of what you're talking about. It's accomplishing what it needs to right now. But part of why I had all this sand and peat moss and whatnot was to mix up because I wanted to switch to using yeah. do like a red- 70, 70, 30 or 80, 20 and the least amount of soil. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was uh, planning on doing instead of laying here on my back, like a bum. 
um, and, then, and then have like a the stuff that's dry, so that way you can just add it on top. You just skip that drying step and put yeah, put that layer up on top. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's another reason why I want to get a nice source of leaves too, because I like yeah. you know, putting the, the leaves on top. The leaf litter just basically lets it slow dry. Very, very good. Yeah. So the soil underneath dries real slow. The top is still crisp. The leaves tend to dry out. So you need to throw some more on. But at the same time, the leaves are also breaking down, getting into that soil. So if you have, usually if you're keeping monitors or eating stuff like that, you have, um, some kind of bioactivity going on. And what we've pointed out a few times and Kai's talked about too, bioactivity doesn't need, mean you need these, you know, pumpkin bubblegum isopods from wherever. Okay. Yeah. Bioactivity can be the Buffalo beetles or superworm beetles or something that helps, you know, break down what, whatever matters in the cage. Yeah. Okay. And springtails come naturally. You just add leaves and they appear. Oh, yeah. And just, yeah. They just, they disappear. Okay. Um, so, uh, you should be able to do, kind of develop your own and they'll, you know, if, if your enclosure is adequate enough, it'll support the bioactivity. If yeah. your enclosure falls to a very low dry all the time and very low humidity, no microhabitats for them, right. They'll, they'll not really thrive at all. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a balance and that'll be one of your cues. If, your isopods or your springtails basically are depleted and they're only really lively right around the water dish, then your cage is way too dry. Right. Um, that's, that's for, for my, for my animals and how we have the soil. That's what I read. You know, um, I, I personally, because sand dries out a little bit more, but that's just how they like it. Um, I have to go in every few weeks, roughly every month, every other month, give or take, just with it depends on how large of a volume it is if it's like in a bin the bin stays enclosed so well and there's really only one entrance and one exit so that mm -hmm. way air really can only escape through there so a lot of times it's just recycled in the bin um right and so that those bins kind of stay a lot more consistent unless there's a really hot heating source next to it and then it kind of evaporates really fast but um but for the most part, they stay pretty consistent. But my larger volumes, I take, a, you know, a, a whole gallon pitcher or like what I use is the the large Arizona jugs after I'm yep. done using them, you know, and they come with a little handle. And, you know, just I just easily just ha I, use, I use lukewarm water and I pour it all over the surface. Let it saturate. Now, if it saturates and it starts to disappear very fast, then I know, all right, I got to kind of this is going to need some more, you know, I'll have right. to. Then before I add more water, turn all that first. See what you accomplish and see when you're, you know, when you're squeezing your hand and if it holds really well or, or you know, if you've added too much and then you got to add some dry sand in there and, you know, cut yep. cut it basically and um, level it out with the, how much how much sand and, and uh, wetness you have there. Um, but, yeah, man, that's basically what I'm doing all the time now turning soil almost every day <laughs> oh i believe you oh and also you know as you'll know but for the listeners the soil that's usually under the basking spot um sometimes so if you have your basking spot you're hitting the higher temperatures you want but then from there you go from like 90 down into the 80s as it gets farther away from the basking spot um 
in my experience, that's where a lot of the monitors are going to want to lay, but it's still close enough to the basking spot where it dries out faster. Okay. So you'll, you'll need to focus sometimes on that. So it's not, you're not going to get away with just, um, not, not sometimes you just have to turn everything. Uh, that's where some of the nest boxes are nicer. And if you're going to use a nest box, um, like the hole that Kai was talking about, you might want to turn away or have it on the side that's away from the heating element. I like to put mine so that one end kind of reaches the high 80s because it's close enough to the basking spot. But you also have to be aware that that side's going to dry out faster. Um, so I'm in there still turning stuff around. But also in your basking spot, if you have still a lot of good ventilation, I'm sorry, in your, your um, nest box, you can also use leaf litter on top of that. It gets kind of be a pain, but it can also lock in um, the moisture plus the top on top of it if you're losing too much moisture out of there. Uh, but it's also going to hold in moisture too. So sometimes you might find it it's kind of getting stagnant. So yeah. uh, if you have it too moist or you have the wrong mix going on. So, and we were on, I think it was Robert Fox was talking about putting the holes in the bottom. Um that's, that's a great idea. Now, I haven't really had to do it yet, but I can see it in certain situations where I might need to do something like that so that it, it has another way to drain if it needs to. Um, but, you know, different ways to – you're either turning up a bunch of soil. That's why I like the nest boxes, and I love the animals that will use them regularly. <laughs> Those are my favorite. Um, but for some things, like Kai was talking about, you, you might need to use that significant bank. The desert animals, they might get away with drier areas and then just have that humid hide to retreat to. Whereas the Indonesian species, uh, you're like Kai was saying, you're going to see a difference in their skin if they're not hitting those those humidity goals they need um, and water goals they need. So, you know, something to take into consideration and uh, also do your stretching, your exercises um don't end up like me <laughs> yeah don't end up like us man back to back yeah or have someone you could call because uh, i know there's some hungry animals over there right now <laughs> i'm trying to thaw out what i can i'm just throwing it in there hope you guys don't eat each other bye <laughs> oh oh on that note uh i had a buddy i i haven't seen now i've had like probably hundreds of ackies go through that i've had my hands on so far, either, you know, the raise ups or the adults that I've, I now have that are producing more and whatnot. Um, I've never seen an Aki eat another Aki. I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. I had a buddy, which, well, I had a buddy that showed me one. Yeah. And I was just like, what in the hell? Like it was basically the same size Aki and it had, yeah. Someone sent me that same video, I think. That was insane. And I, you know, I didn't know what to say really because I've heard of it. Um, may, might it be a fluke? Yeah. Or maybe they going after the same food item and they just, the yeah. feeding response. I haven't had that happen yet either with any of my hashlings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've actually kept uh, clutches together that were maybe a couple weeks, three weeks apart. So even then, you know, the, those bigger ones didn't eat the little ones. Um, but right. that's that's because I try to be on top of feeding and stuff like that. And I'm pretty 
I'm there all the time, but you know, they're always, I, I can, I can be sleeping and you know, they, they hack on each other or whatever. And yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. That's where, oh man, I've seen, uh, Blake Wilson post a picture of a bigger Argus eating his slightly smaller Argus. Oh man. Like, these are bigger animals. Yeah, yeah. So, oh that's, man, Argus—they're—they're they're gluttons. They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll eat a lot. You know, that's so crazy. You know, because um, of course the sand monitors are close in relation, but I haven't seen anything like that with them. Uh, now, initially, I did have uh, two sand monitors together, and one died. It did have bites to its arm, um, but the bites weren't enough to kill it. They weren't infected either. Uh, so. That was early on. Now, that same animal, I went straight into pairing up with another animal um, about a month later, and there's no problems. That's actually where most – that's where all of the babies I've come from so far um, is those two animals. So I don't know what to make of it. Um, maybe it was something else. Maybe it was just that animal being stressed uh, for some other reason because of that animal um, biting it. So, you know, you do run the risks sometimes of the, these things happening, um, which is horrible. And I'm try in every way to to not let that happen. But, um, you know, and I, I still get bites here and there nips like you were talking about, Kai treating tails and whatnot. Um, my two savannas will just go, you know, not go after each other. I, I, I shouldn't say it like that, like they're fighting. But one will just be like, hey. Uh, give me that food you're eating and like kind of like nip on the, the side of the head right Dude, on the part. Mine grab the whole top of each other's head. Like sometimes they, I, I just, I mean, I try not to try not to freak out about some wounds like that, but you know, it's like you're bleeding from the head, bro. Like, oh. are, you, are you okay? You know? <laughs> yeah. See, mine, like, don't, mine don't draw blood. There might be a little chafing, but the, those two savannas, they don't draw blood on each yeah. other. It's almost, and they do it to each other. The, the smaller one will do it to the bigger one. And it's, it's kind of funny because they neither one back down. I don't have one that's like stressed out over the other. So I just kind of let them go at it. You know, yeah, that's mine, the truth. mine. Like if the male has food and he's finished, the female has food. Uh, and he, you know, he's like, all right, I'm just going to go over here, grab her by the nape, grab her by her head. Sometimes it's like grabbing it where she's grabbed it. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I got to kind of, what I do is I poke right here underneath his, his gull. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then he, they typically let go without me having to shove my finger in their mouth, which I don't really want to do. Um, oh, my Kimberly's do it a lot. Uh, they'll grab the head of the other one. Yeah, if they got grab the, yeah, man. It's like, come on. You guys are annoying. Just wait. Yeah. Yeah. Again, they don't, they're not leaving any marks. There's nothing to make of it all. Just other yeah. than like, <laughs> their little, their little tiff. Um, but yeah, you know, I, as far as one's eating it and in the past I had, uh, this was 20 years ago. I had some Tristis, um, clean another Tristis clean. There was five of them. Then there was four of them. You know, and I saw the head, the spinal column, and the tail, and everything else was picked clean. And um, man, I actually love seeing that. Um, I haven't had my monitors. They they preen their food, but they don't. 
that's cool to see watching them pick clean like a carcass kind of you know yeah yeah that's that's cool i used to have this dorianus that i i fed like big jumbo rats right um, yeah that it would it'd be a murderer and you know back then i was kind of sort of immature with some of the animals so um like i would just you know feed it a big rat just to see it kill it right well basically it killed it and ate it from the inside out you know basically got gutted it and and ate everything and left the hide and the tail yep yeah. I still do it with a large quail for the sand monitors and the savannas. I'll throw one in there from time to time and they go for the soft part and you'll see them like spit out feathers a little bit. If yeah. They, can. they, uh, they preen, they definitely, my, my guys preen it. Like they'll, they'll just bite at it and then they just flick it back out and then they go to the fleshy part. Yeah. I've actually had to, um, some of these chicks that we get, right. They come with a ton of down feather, right. A ton yeah. of feather. And it's, quite annoying now on the on the the end result all the feathers that the monitors crap out end up kind of dusty in the air if you, you know you let your if you know that's what you're mainly feeding and you know obviously the animal defecates in the cage you know you're not going to always get it and when the the, the the cleanup crew is cleaning they're not really cleaning the feathers because it's kind of indigestible to them right know? so you end up with a bunch of ton of that dust now, you see that murder scene <laughs> yeah you, you end up for for me i get that's a whole bunch of allergies for me oh boy or more so it makes the dust like more on un, wanting to really deal with you know so yeah what i do is i i kind of pull most of those feathers now from those day old chicks i let them thaw out for 30 minutes or so and then when they're like mid-thaw it's like really easy to pull the feathers off of and then now i just feed those sort of defeathered. now my animals yeah. still get roughage in their pipes so you know they're not just eating straight meat you know the they're obviously getting still some feathers i'm not defeathering every chick but majority um but i also feed you know crustacean and and yeah. plenty of plenty of roughage, and I don't I don't de dehair the mice at all, or defeather no. mice at all. So um, yeah, it's just the the immense amount of feathers on the chicks and things like that that they're gonna pull off sometimes anyways. You know they sit there and yeah, if I right. give them a, a head or or the neck part, you know, and if it's covered in they they, they don't actually want to even bite it; they'll drop it. You know. Yeah, and mm. you know something I should point out. Yes, uh, monitors will nip at each other and whatnot. Um, I haven't been afraid to... I, I, I'm not afraid to keep the ones together that I have together. It's within normal range of behaviors. But I also want to say that um, there's times when I have fed monitors larger items they can't handle themselves, such as we're kind of talking about. They will actually carry it to another monitor or bring... Like, they know what they're doing. And so both animals will pull on this food item and pull it apart and then they're eating what's inside. So, yeah. um, you know, you're going to miss some behaviors, some of their intelligence, um, not doing some of these, or at least experimenting, never put your animals in dangerous situations, but be willing to explore, you know, what they're capable of because they will work together on some things, uh, from, from taking a, part a large food item i mean a good example of this would be the komodo dragons too 
You know, yeah. one of them will go bite a deer. They'll all chase it down. And then everybody's having a party, you know, um, it's the same in captivity to a certain degree. You can see the same behavior with some animals. Yeah. Uh, they will pull it apart. Mm-hmm. Ackies will do it with large bugs. They'll yeah, if you left it a lot, left a large carcass in there. They'll, they'll definitely work on it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then they're not afraid to work together. So, you know, it makes me think they, when one eats another one, it was it a mistake. Do they know what they're doing? I, it's, I don't know. There's so much to, to, you know, I'm sure there's other people that'll have experiences. If you've had some of these experiences, even though they're unfortunate ones, tell me about it. Send me a message. Send me a little story. I'd love to hear what you guys or maybe yeah. the information around it. Um, yeah, before uh, before we get off, uh, I just wanted to kind of go over some things too the, with uh, some of the new recordings that we'll be having and things like that. We're trying to do um, some more species specific. So uh, if you have... Uh, anything that you recommend or anything that you want to hear us talk about or have a guest on um, message us. Yep. Message Alan or message myself. Now there is a few, um, something we've been talking about. Actually, I'll hit you up afterwards for a guest, Um, you know, and a few of these topics. So some of these keepers that keep something specific, um, you know, we want, we want to cover all these things because with, there being a lot of similarities between different species, there's also some fine tuned things that, you know, uh, might be specific to that species that you might provide. Obviously like water monitors need water. (laughs) So, um, ways to heat that water, ways to change that water, ways to filter the water, all these things or different ideas that people have thought of, um, to help accomplish something for their animal, what they're keeping. We want all these things in there so that, you know, you can get on here, we can share them, we can promote more ideas or make things easier on other keepers. Um, So don't be afraid to hit us up with some of this stuff and uh, we'll try to get a good mix of people on here. Um, You know, it's funny, some of these long-term keepers, stuff they do uh, (laughs) seems so simple. And they're like, yeah, yeah, this used to be common practice back in the day and we lost touch with what was common practice. Yeah. yeah, you know, so. some of it. Yeah, we're we're all chasing this little piece of um, Australia to set up in our cages, and sometimes it's just not functional, or sometimes people want to keep an ackee with a waterfall and live plants, and it's not necessarily the best for this animal. You know, right. they're not they're not from the middle of the jungle, um, so I, I guess I'm going way too far with this but uh um help me out here kai i'm (laughs) guys looking at me like i don't know what you're talking about you just went on your own (laughs) yeah it's a you know there's there some of the species are quite specific but okay let's just for example tree monitors okay although they spend majority of their time in the trees right um and i think most design like tree pythons or arboreal stuff right really it's a little bit of bedding at the bottom and um you know water dish or something like that and then most of the elaborateness is in the top they're the background or the the amount of trees or you know tubing or branches or whatever that's decked out now that's not really necessarily bad for tree monitors 
but there's more to the whole setup than just that right yeah right um and so <clears throat> when you think about it the tree belongs to a root system you know the root system belongs to a bunch of soil <clears throat> all this adds to the enclosure and should add to your environment to help with balance um, a game changer for me was when Jody Piper taught me how to utilize bottom or lower level heating, mm -hmm. whether it's subfloor heating or you're adding heat pads down there to heat soil or you have heat lamps set lower or your, your enclosures are designed this way. Um, they basically heated the soil for me rather than me having to pump a ton of heat into the enclosure from the top, right? Which, you know, with science, it's, it's not really how heat moves and travels. Heat rises upwards. So, you'd, you know, you're, you're using a lot of wattage to just heat this whole enclosure, making it possibly too hot. Um, now, rather than making an enclosure extremely hot <clears throat> and then still barely, eight, you know, when an enclosure is eight foot for a tree monitor, a lamp up top is still barely doing anything to the right at all right so you know some of our enclosures that are much higher than four four or five foot like some of ours are um you know what you're doing is trying to warm this moist soil up and this creates very dense humidity without you having to do a whole lot of spraying regularly right um now that's where i say again where people are missing this aspect a lot and when they're thinking about this enclosure, they totally disregard soil and everything is, you know, the, the rock wall and the branches, which is important as well. It's just for look like what I was using as an example, the tree monitor, you, you guys may be totally missing the other part of the enclosure. Yep. Um, that can also be a nesting area or, it, you know, just it, it, there's very many pros to having heated soil um and so it's a uh, something to think about if you are you know planning to get into these types of animals and it can be same thing with the yakis too you're not just thinking about a little bit of soil and having a bunch of nice elaborate rock wall okay you're gonna have the rock wall and deep soil that's a complete setup um you know you're, you're so it's yeah, some of these enclosures, some of them don't make sense to me. That's where. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be a few changes, guys. And honestly, probably lessons we've already learned. Um, some of them I have to revisit because I set something up and maybe it's a new design or maybe it's a new thing. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? And I'll bounce it off a of Kai. He's like, oh, this. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was dumb. Um, you know, so you're not alone in this, you know, it's, we're still very capable or we'll come up with this great idea that just doesn't work for anything <laughs> back to, back to what does work. Um, oh, and real quick before we go, um, I was supposed to take um, the black trees in today. And so if you guys have been listening or following, um, unfortunately that didn't happen because I'm here on my back. Now, if they were really hurting, uh, of course, I'd be over there. So what has happened is the really swollen arm on the one, the swelling has gone down a lot. And the animal's uh, fingers on that arm, where they were just staying kind of like limp and to the side, weren't really grabbing onto anything. Um, 
it will now grab onto my finger. It's still real light, but I can see the actual movement in the hand. So that's a big improvement. Um, and the other one, the male that I took in that had some other protozoas or something going on, um, treated those and definitely gaining more weight. So, um, things are looking real good on those. I'm a little upset cause now I'll have to reschedule the appointment. Um, life happens, you know, I, I hate to say it. I wish I could. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a, a close place. I was going to, uh, um, you should have uh, went there in a wheelchair. Man, if I could even get into that position, you know, it's like it's that car ride I was dreading being stuck there. Um, the years, we can we're eligible for a cane. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Uh, you know, no, I kind of want one. <laughs> it was it was UC Davis, so I was thinking, uh, you know, maybe I could call myself an ambulance, <laughs> take my animals with me, have them lay me on a stretcher and roll me in and just get up and hobble in with my animals. <laughs> but, uh, so I'll, I'll have to reschedule that, but that's the, that's the update on those guys. So big improvement, um, to their health overall. And you know, that's good, I, man. I, yeah. Really good. Everybody else is doing good. I really think I'll get some, I'm hoping, but I think I'll get some eggs. I got to imagine all this food is going somewhere with these tree monitors. You know, it has to be doing something. Everything yeah. else to me seems right. So totally different season too. So um yeah. Hopefully something triggers and change. We're should we do for some more wetness before spring really kicks off. So hopefully hopefully we get that. Um it was supposed to have drizzled today. Um but it I don't did know here. Really, it did? Yeah. That's good. But yeah, see that's the that's the 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 wetness i was kind of talking about there should be some more coming so yeah we need it as a state we need it too but um yeah so you know i'm not i'm not gonna get my hopes up too high because you know they are still new animals that came from a totally different area of the world on a totally different seasonal rotation um but at the same time i'm yeah i'm just thinking okay they're doing something the food i put the food in the food disappears um it's got to go to something so we'll see we'll see what happens yeah cool man all right you want to wrap it up yeah yeah all right everybody thanks for listening again um we're brought to you as one of the podcasts under the morelia python radio network um go on to morelia morelia python radio uh dot com you'll see their website you'll see all the podcasts that are, are there that are under the umbrella uh, if you have any questions about our show, you can always reach out to us uh, or the other shows. You can always contact, um, I think it's info at moreliapythonradio.com uh, to send an email to Eric for anything. Uh, also go on their website, check out their store, check out what they're doing. There's a lot of good information on there. If you're into other animals um, or you just want something to listen to, some fun podcasts while you're doing your work day, there's some great information and great people in there, uh, real charismatic people. So they're just fun to listen to, to be honest. Um, the other thing that uh, you can also find us, of course, on social media, uh, but I'll touch on NPR Network online. Um, you can find them on both Facebook and Instagram. Let me make sure I'm getting that right, that it's NPR Network. I believe it is, but Kai, where can people find you? Um, they can find me mostly on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can search up Kai Fan. On Instagram, I am uh, 
big underscore lizard 103 and on uh, YouTube I am mangrove mecca that's mangrove and then mecca m-e-c-c-a um, I'm most responsive on Facebook um, right. but I'll, I'll check my Instagram quite often as well and I, I also respond there as well what about you man so you can find me on Instagram at origins underscore reptile and on Facebook at origins reptile. Um, I'm responsive pretty much on anything. So hit me up wherever's comfortable for you. Um, and I should be able to get back to you. Um, but for the, the NPR stuff that I want to give people, it's actually NPR underscore network is where you can find them on Instagram and NPR um, on Facebook. And that'll take you there. Uh, also, Guys, um, if you're not a U.S. ARC member, we haven't said this in the last couple episodes, but look into U.S. ARC, look into what they do. Basically, they protect us and protect our hobby. Um, they're at the forefront of getting some of these things that come up in these bills that are tucked away on you know page 3000 and something. That might be just be a paragraph, but it could affect our hobby greatly. Uh, they're reading through these documents. They're fighting uh, to basically allow us to, to work with, to keep the animals we love. So uh, if you're not a member, I highly encourage you to go join uh, even as a $5, you know, setup, whatnot. Uh, I think that's the basic membership. And the reason is, you know, who else is, that's a good question. Who else is out there doing what uh, us art can do for us or is doing for us or has the history that they have. They've been around longer than some of us have been keeping. So uh, they got a good track record. Uh, I encourage you to go find out that information, help support them, because um, I'm not sure what the status of this new bill is, but the uh, um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the bill's called. Do you remember? I put yeah. you on the spot. You're talking about yeah. like the Lacey Act. Well, it's basically it's it's built into that. Oh, that bill. The, oh man, I forget the word is on the tip of my tongue, but um, man, no, I can't remember. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> we'll get some better information for you out next episode, <laughs> but yeah. it's there where basically it wants to restrict animals to kind of their state, you know, so you wouldn't be able to get animals from across state lines or um, sell your animals across state lines. Um, and it restricts a lot of other species. It also allows the federal government to basically pick a species they don't like and say, you can't keep them anymore. So if you don't want that to happen or uh, you're, you know, um, wanting something to keep in the future get on with us art spend the five dollars it's a coffee it's uh you know something you might rent on tv it's it's not much and it can do a lot of good for us so okay i think we'll end there now that i'm rambling and rambling yeah um, um, last thing is uh happy birthday eric oh it yeah is, it's eric's it birthday the pod father's birthday today yeah so it's it's uh saturday march march 19th so uh um, it's a very special holy day today. <laughs> All right, you guys. Have a good one. All right. See you later.